Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. I'm Courtney. Courtney, today, in well, before we introduce our guests, I guess, <laughs> uh, we talk about the do-do's and don't-do's of personalized learning. Yes, we do. Even in the summer. Even in the summer. Even in a pandemic. Exactly. Exactly. Even it, when things are boring. <laughs> things are never boring around here. No. Get Not this summer. Out because who knows what's going to happen next. That's shark exactly right. <laughs> he was just reading about the shark attacks in Maine. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's horrible, but it's It's awful, horrible, but, but... I don't know what else can happen this year, so let's... Uh, oh, let's knock right on wood there. Oh my God. Know. It's barely half over, for God's sakes. Yeah. Uh, so so we have a, But we've got good stuff today. Yeah, we have guests, and they're going to talk about some cool stuff, too. So yeah, so it's... Um, who are they? Uh, well, I know we've got Gary Chapin and we have Carissa Caro. Carissa Caro from Educate for Good. Yeah. So they're going to talk about a conference that they're putting on in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's virtual, so anyone can attend. Uh, they talk about where you can find it for one and how to sign up for it and what it's all about. And this is pretty much their discussion of what the conference is and what their beliefs are and yeah. uh, how it can work for every educator, especially coming into a brand new weirdo school year mm -hmm. uh, where everybody's at home, basically. Right. So how does this work? Uh, this is what the conference is about. And uh, let's talk to them right now. It's all new. We are, we are a new organization called Educating for Good. And one of the things that we had started planning months and months ago, but which we're still following through on, is a virtual conference called Assessment for Good. And assessment isn't like all we do, but it is a large part of what we do. For me in particular, it's, it's a big uh, fascination. We were talking about like various ways to approach this, like we're like, should we call it ethical assessment? Like every brand has been taken, but Carissa had started up a little, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make that diminutive. Um, had started up an organization educating for good. And so that rang true to me. And so we joined together, we joined forces, we formed an alliance an alliance for good and um, so it became assessment for good and what it is is it's three it's three days and there are three circles where they're going to meet and have conversations each day that were organized as circles and I'll let Carissa talk more about that structure uh, in a moment but one of them is on the topic of ethical assessment which really has become important to me since the pandemic because the danger of unethical assessment is so huge. Mm -hmm. uh, another is on feedback circles, which Carissa is running. And another is called Our Work to, or My Work to Do, which is run by a, a colleague in Los Angeles. And it's, and I'm gonna let Carissa describe that one. I was gonna say, I'm very curious to hear about what the circle format is and how it works. I think I can picture it in person but yeah. um, I'm curious what it looks like in a virtual format and just why you've decided to go with that format over anything else. Most of our work already in an assessment is actually circle-based. And so mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is teachers learning together 
through giving feedback um, in circle in some way, shape or form. So sometimes they're large circles um, where presenters presenting and folks are sitting and working through something together through protocol and sometimes they're small circles where it's just three folks giving really quick feedback um, in rapid prototyping loops. So we already exist like that generally. Um, but Gary and I participated in um, an unconference um, that was led by um, some folks in the assessment for uh, learning community. Um, so that happened in the spring during COVID. It was supposed to be an in-person se session, but because of COVID, it was not. Um, and so uh, we were a little bit, a lot bit inspired um, by that experience. And also they gave us a homework assignment. They give everyone a homework assignment to come up with their own learning experience. And so this was important for us. The circle format virtually, I mean, everyone does their own format. So we have some facilitators like Suzanne who are um, really tight in facilitation and thinking about if you have 10 people in a space, how do we ensure there's equity of voice in that space? Mm -hmm. How do we ensure that we don't have folks who ramble on too much, that people are staying on point? And so there's some strategies that you can build in there where everyone gets to be heard and seen and everyone is learning and they're not feeling like they're just sitting and listening. So thinking about how you introduce the space, what kind of space is this? What's the purpose? So there's a lot of reflecting and journaling. Okay. It, it tries to avoid some of the undermining behaviors that happen sometimes in conferences where even in a conversation, you're not actually listening to the people. You're just trying to figure out what you're gonna say when it's your turn. Right. And also just there are aggressive behaviors that undermine people's experiences that it tries to avoid as well. So we did this conference in the spring, but it also goes back. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the assessment for learning project, but there was a conference in February in San Diego and I led uh, a circle there with a woman from Hawaii. So it was called an unkeynote. We really did not want, we had written some articles about how education is an ecosystem and change happens one conversation at a time. And I'm happy to send those links to you. Uh, but we didn't want to just present as it, we were asked to do the keynote. We didn't want to just present and talk at them. So we created the circle where there, we, we planted like, we had 10 chairs and we had planted five people. And everybody in the room after was invited when they had something to say to step into the circle and participate in the conversation and then step out if they wanted to or they could stay in. And so it was in a way it was like a permeable fishbowl. And we every so often uh, we had five prompts that lasted the hour and 20 minutes. And so however the math works out every so many minutes we would put another prompt up there and the conversation would continue and it was it was so powerful and people people were really sort of um i don't know what the word is like the different format brought up a different way of thinking and a different kind of conversation because you didn't have to be on a panel for the entire thing you weren't going down the line where you know let's see there are three people before me um and and people could say like provocative things on purpose and then step out and see what happened. It was really, it was really super interesting. So that was, that was my other 
uh, circle experience? Yeah, I've been experiencing circles since high school. Um, we use the touchstones discussion project. I don't know if you've heard of that, but we learned how to talk uh, in that way in high school and not everyone, just a small group of us. Um, and then thinking about all the other spaces um, that we have restorative circles that have been introduced to um, reflective spaces, um, thinking about difference and talking past difference, especially in these heated political times, like how do we talk with neighbors? So participated in um, sessions with folks that actually work toward that. Like how do you build community with people who don't think like you um, together? So it, it even expands beyond maybe sort of education. So there's all kinds of applications. And we think that it's important to actually um, hold a space like this because Coming up, we have a lot of teachers, secondary and post-secondary, who are thinking, how do I build relationships with kids that I've never had face-to-face? -face? And if you've been doing this for a long time, you know that you can build those relationships virtually. Uh, it is, does take some time. And it is weird when you actually meet folks in person. It's like meeting a celebrity on TV. Um, but it's possible. And I think a lot of folks right now are putting up that barrier um, to they're not having the imagination. And so we're, we're hoping this provides an opportunity to showcase um, It's really six different uh, circle facilitators and how they hold space um, and build meaning and build relationships um, So that they can folks participants so that participants in that can Then take the hat and see how they can apply that in their practice. So it's philosophical and practical at the same time so, all right, so let's say I've signed up to come to the assessment for Good Circle. Like, what's the gist of what I'm in for? So, yeah, like, can I just sit there and, you know, watch like a webinar or kind of like, what, what am I, what have I signed up for? <laughs> we hope that it's participatory and then we also don't force folks to participate. Um, so it really depends on um, who's holding the circle, the purpose, um, and what's happening. So in the feedback circles that I'm holding, we're going to be looking at a curriculum unit one day, giving feedback. And so the idea is that everyone in the group will participate in giving feedback, either through chat, um, through speaking, um, maybe through just their facial expressions of things, but that they'll be, they'll be active participants. Um, and then the next uh, Tuesday is uh, looking at an instructional plan and Wednesday for me is looking at an assessment. Um, the three circles that we have that are guest circles each day, those are three different facilitators. So um, Alvin is gonna be doing a text-based discussion and he's gonna be looking at um, some text from Paolo Fierre and thinking about activism and education. And so that'll be a, you know, a text-based, we're gonna experience some um, text together. So there'll be an out loud, uh, out loud reading, uh, likely um, for, you know, five to seven minutes, taking some time to journal and then sharing in serial testimony. So maybe not a lot of crosstalk. Um, we are, we, we know that Cheryl and Cowie's circle is going to be um, awesome because they're great circle leaders, but a similar format there where you respond to some, something. Um, and then, um, Sarah Lynch and Tony Sadal are going to be leading a circle to ask what is important right here, right now. 
uh, in this time. And so that's, that's gonna have some more crosstalk, but also space for people to reflect and, and break out groups. And think about what right, what right here looks like, because everyone, we have a lot of folks from across the country coming and everyone's coming from a different right here place. So what does school look like in rural New Hampshire looks very different than what it will look like in Boston, Massachusetts. And um, Suzanne's, uh, Suzanne Edwards Acton has my work to do and she's gonna be showcasing that. It's a series that she runs um, all the time in the evenings for mostly white, white women, but white men are invited to. Um, and it's really thinking about the connections between white supremacy and white, well, white supremacy culture systems of whiteness in our assessment systems. And so she has a, a, looks at a provocative piece. So there's a shared experience and there is um, serial testimony. And it's, a, it's, it's a, just a shared learning really reflecting on how other people are experiencing that provocative piece. And Gary, I'll let you describe what you're gonna do in your circle. So, uh, so you could, you could, there, nothing, there's no rule that would stop you from showing up and not participating. But one of, the, one of my guiding lights for these is uh, Chris Chamberlain's uh, admonition that our job is to make sure that the conversations that have to happen, happen. And, um, and these, are, these are really personal. These can be really personal. First of all, everybody is very emotionally heightened just because of the amazing stream of, of stuff coming at them. But also if you think like, so my circles are all on the idea of ethical assessment. And um, so, I mean, it's easy to ask what is ethical assessment, but then you ask what is unethical assessment, which I haven't asked. So what would an unethical assessment look like? And, uh, and then immediately you're gonna go to, well, am I doing unethical assessments? And it becomes really personal really quickly. And that's, uh, I think something that circles do really well. I think that's what they're for. They 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 get you deep quickly, and um, I mean I don't want people to cry, but uh, but but I I can't imagine if if you go away from my circles without feeling emotionally connected, then I will have failed. It sounds like this is going to be an incredibly powerful experience for attendees. That is the goal. Can you tell us when, when this is again for our listeners and how to get there? It's really easy to get to the website. So um, you can visit educatingforgood.com and we have an events tab. And on the events tab, you can find out about the conference um, and register there. There's a, there's a page. Um, we also have, before the conference next week, we have some uh, asynchronous opportunities for folks to connect before because we know that it's important um, when creating a community um, to have those other experiences as well. So we have a Slack channel um, that you can sign up for if you want to. It's, it's, it's all if you want to. Uh, and then we have a Twitter chat next week, um, a slow chat. So if you don't like the fast Twitter chats, I'm with you. <laughs> um, so we have a slow chat next week and uh, the hashtag for that is um, for good, hashtag for good 2020. Yeah. 
And then the other piece is that we're, the community is intended to continue after this conference. So there'll be opportunities later in the year to come back together. And, and so now you're talking about what am I gonna do in September? And then later on, you'll talk about what did I do in September? And uh, I feel like it'll be a really interesting conversation to look at the same event from two points in time. I think it's going to be insane. And I can't wait to have lived through it. We can't wait to, to live through it either <laughs> and to kind of see how this all pans out and how your organization grows. I just love the name. It's, it's amazing. It is so hopeful and it speaks to a lot of kind of what, what I identify as my values as an educator. And I think, um, I think it's going to speak to a lot of people and I'm sure it is going to be a highly engaging and meaningful experience. We know so. It's going to be good. We try and fit as many good puns as we can into anything. Oh, see? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Now that we know that, now that puns are out there, even more listeners are coming. Already a winner. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, when, you're, when you think the alternative to educating for good is educating for college and career readiness, I feel like we're winning right just from the start. <laughs> Or just educating for bad. I mean, no one wants that. Well, so. there's some purpose. There's some purposefully, you know, it's designed to educate. System of whiteness that we are all in is designed to um, educate for nefarious <laughs> purposes. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, when we think about assessment, which is why we chose um, assessment to lead with, I think a lot of folks right now. I know a lot of folks right now are talking about when they're talking about anti-racism curriculum. How will we introduce anti-racist curriculum into our schools? And I think that's important. And assessment is a very um, important practice in keeping um, racist structures in place. So when we think about SAT and the origins of the SAT uh, and how that um, still affects uh, folks today, black and brown kiddos, poor kiddos, our special education students, and what also, the other things that it does is distracts people from other conversations that are important about living in community sure. um, and participating in democracy. So in a lot of the work that we do, that I do in schools, especially in rural schools in New Hampshire and Vermont, social studies is like an afterthought. Mm -hmm. That we only study social studies once a week for half an hour because that's what we can fit in because what's most important for our school community, what we've been trained to think, is that we have to have higher scores in math and English right. and science. And so that narrows the curriculum quite a bit, um, which is problematic to developing a community that actually looks out for each other um, and that thinks about justice uh, in a way uh, that's not about, can I get my justice in this world, but can we just have a just world. Carissa, can you mention the website again for people to go and sign up? Sure. It's educatingforgood.com. Nice. All of our listeners go to that right now. Put pause on this podcast and go to it right now and sign up for this amazing conference on August 10th through the 12th. Thank you both for coming today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.